Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Ruthless ST Radio podcast. It is I, the Ruthless ST himself, Nick Bernal, this week joined by my normal co-host, AJ Morrow. And this week, we've got a special guy sitting in the third seat. We've got Julian Stapleton of Cruising Around Dayton with us today. Guys, how you doing? Hey, pretty good. I'm doing groovy. All right. Well, before we get into this week's show... I know there were some things that came out uh, this past week about some events that are coming up. So, uh, AJ and Julian, why don't you guys take it away and uh, and uh, give the announcements for the week? Okay. Well, the uh, Windy 10 is actually going to be a one-day cruise, and Julian can tell you more about that as well. He's got it all mapped out and almost ready. So, here pretty soon, uh, we'll have the... Uh, We'll have that on Cruising Around Dayton on the Facebook page. So, Julian, take it away. Uh, Yeah, uh, we got rid of the Windy 10 Cruise. Uh, we didn't really get rid of it. Uh, we had to do some modifying, as you would say. Uh, we just was not happy with it. Uh, for one, it was such a huge cruise that in the short time period on the weekend, meeting on a Saturday, we just couldn't get it all done with. We just uh, decided to go back to our roots and uh, go back to what we did last year, which was the uh, state route uh, five five five, also known as the triple nickel uh, cruise. Uh, so we're bringing that actually back. I actually got it uh, almost complete now. We're just probably about ninety five percent there, just going over the uh, little details right now. Well, I know, I know we had talked about in the in the moderator chat this week because I know you guys wanted to do 700 miles worth of roads on that one. And yes, and you know, I don't know when you last tallied up the distance for the Dragon Slayer uh, to go down and do the route and come back, but that over three days was. I did the math, and it's like fourteen hundred and change as far as mileage. So, you know, for for seven hundred miles in two days, that that's a that's a ton. Oof. Oh yes, correct. It would have been it would have been just nonstop, just driving, driving, driving. If we would have kept it to the seven hundred miles, uh, what we actually done now? We went back to we're going to be doing the full uh triple nickel this year last year we only did about uh the southern half uh this year we're gonna be do uh we're gonna do the full route and the full route of the state route 78 which is known as the rim of the world uh and with the addition we're adding one more addition in this year and that's uh the ohio tail dragon route five 36 and it's supposed to be it's about 12 miles so the exact length um, almost exact length of the tail of the dragon down there in north carolina and tennessee uh what else and and it's just as uh twisty if you wanted to hear about that awesome awesome well i can't wait to go on that one that one's gonna be a that one's gonna be a good one and you know, like we kind of said, uh, uh, I actually, oh, sorry about that. Uh, what good. I was going to say is, uh, we actually, I actually got the numbers for that, uh, cruise for the new triple nickel cruise that we're going to do. It's, uh, 367 plus miles oh, that's that we'll be able to do in one day. Yeah. That's yeah. not bad. Not too shabby. No. Well, good. I definitely will be on the lookout for that event posting when that comes out. All yeah. right. So, uh, as you guys know, last week we did a uh, <clears throat> we're in we're doing our intro to AutoX uh, redo series. Uh, as you guys know, I kind of did the intro to AutoX series last year, and I just wanted to to touch on redo it and make it better because uh, you know I've got people to talk to in my ears now instead of myself. So last week <laughs> we kind of talked about kind of pre-event prep. You know, what to do before you go to your first event or maybe your your 500th event, 500th event, if you will. 
you know, find the club, find the schedule, um, you know, if you're not a novice anymore, find what class you might find yourself in, and we gave a couple of examples, uh, we kind of talked about, you know, minimum safety requirements, uh, clubs local to, uh, our area here in Southwest Ohio, specifically the, uh, the Western Ohio region of the SCCA, and we kind of talked about, you know, are higher horsepower cars good for autocross? Are they not good for autocross? We kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, so what I have the guys do every week is I have them come up with three questions they want answered during the show. And the reason I did a Cliff Notes version of last week's show is for the first question that was posed this week, which is, when autocrossing, what is the most important thing to do before you arrive? Um... The answer to that question is going to be uh, obviously registering for your event. Don't want to don't want to forget that, and then then have a debacle when you get there. That's no fun. Um, but more importantly, you kind of want to go over your car and make sure it's sound mechanically, and that you know you check your tire pressures and set them to typically what you want to start out at, um, stuff like that. Um, just preventative maintenance so that. You know, you don't ruin everybody else's day by, you know, spewing oil all over the track and us having to use oil dry, and that's no fun. I've had to do that before. That's no fun at all. <laughs> so doesn't sound fun at all. No, no, it's uh, not. No, that sounds bad. No, no, it's not. I've seen rear ends blow. I've seen shocks blow. Uh, that doesn't usually cause fluid to go all over the track, but that just means we got to get whatever car that blew the suspension off the off the racing surface. Um, Mustangs. <laughs> you know, I've only ever seen one Mustang blow up. <laughs> ever. Um, I've only ever seen that once. Wow. Um, but it's a little bit of everything. You know, it just depends. Yeah. So, so this week, you know, the the title of the episode is uh, "Time to Drive." So, you've done all your pre-event prep. And now you show up to the parking lot, oval track with a bunch of cones on it, uh, whatever it might happen to be that's your autocross course for the day. But you've shown up to the track, so what the hell do you do now, right? So, you know, when you first get there, right, the first thing you're going to want to do, very first thing, before you even park the car, is you want to go find registration, but more importantly, you want to find tech. Because the quicker you can get through tech, the quicker you can get through kind of the BS and 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 paperwork side of it, and just focus. The the one of the main uh, one of the main topics of today's episode is going to be focus. Drive your drive. Don't drive anybody else's. You know that kind of thing. So, you know, who do you talk to? Maybe. So in in at war when you go to an event the uh typically and i don't know if this has changed but i know for years and years and years the re or event or sorry region executive so that's the basically the club president uh at least in our area runs registration she's uh steph's got the computer right there uh, with Motorsport Reg and all everybody's info loaded into the timing system, and they double check your number, or change your number if you need it changed. Uh, they check your classing and they make you sign the waiver. Um, long story short, it's a liability waiver that basically says uh, we're not going to sue you if we get hurt. Essentially, um, so it's enter at your own risk, right? But you know that's everything. So you're on your own oh, yeah. if you wreck your car or anything like that. Pretty much, pretty much. They're it, not. It 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 it's a liability shield for the club. Yeah. So you have to consolidate with your insurance as you'd be like, hey, I just did autocross. Oh yeah, you want to make sure you have uh, track insurance too. Make sure you're covered. So you it's can good. get track insurance, but you oh, don't. Well, it's always just a good thing just to have. I mean, you know, like you said, you don't have to have it, but it's always right. a good thing to have. Right. Right. So. I've only ever seen, um, and I've, you know, knock on wood, I've never experienced it myself, and 
Hopefully I'll never have to, especially in my daily. Oh, same here, too. Same here. But, you know, I've only ever seen a couple of... I, I've seen one, and I've heard of one, an actual crash at an event. It doesn't happen very often. Autocross has the benefit of being the, at least I think, the lowest risk of motorsport. Uh, because... Oh, yeah, I mean... Some... Go ahead. Yeah, keep going. About that. Uh, to me, uh, like you said, the lowest risk. Uh, uh, mainly, you just gotta worry about cones. The most thing I could see uh, where you had a problem is if you're uh, overdoing it, or you just had a, a malfunction of your car parts. So yes and no. So the the risks, and this is something you you take into account on your course walk, which we'll get into here in a minute. But, you know, the, the, the amount of risk, and typically clubs will also mitigate this in course design as well. Um, but you always want to look at, you know, because you're right. The, the, the worst thing you should be worried about is a cone. And, and individual risks are kind of venue specific. For example, I'll rattle off a couple of examples here. Um, so at... Kill care, right? You've got right. the the off camber drop offs in the in the infield uh, on the figure eight, and then you also have the big white thing that doesn't move around the outside of the track. That's horrible. Yes, it is. It's <laughs> it's not a safer barrier. It is straight up concrete. And yeah, while brutal. I've I've not seen it. Um, there are stories of, you know, people overdoing it and just backing into the wall and just ruining rear fascias on Corvettes and stuff, and that's no fun. Nobody wants to do that. Also, nobody wants to have to fill out the paperwork. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of damage at the uh, drift events at Drift Indy. I've been to a couple of those, and yeah, it's it's pretty intense. They also leave a lot of uh, rubber um particles oh, laying around yeah, yeah they the don't little... sweep up after themselves no they sure don't but anyway, oh no they don't but anywho so back to back to you know registration and tech so uh typically the guy that'll be running tech is one of the stewards they call them uh safety stewards and chief safety stewards um who will also be assisted by a member and like i said last week what they'll look for they'll pop the hood they'll make sure all your caps are on tight and that they're not going to, you know, pop off, because uh, that would be bad. Um, they will push on at least a couple of your tires, and they'll probably, you know, feel to see if see that there's tread on there and there's no cord showing. And then they'll also check the helmet. And I actually did some digging, and this is actually the last year for SA2005 uh, certification. So next year it'll go to SA2010. Um, but they'll look at the Snell sticker on the inside of your helmet, or they'll look at the, the ECE-rated sticker on if it's an ECE-rated helmet, uh, and they'll vet the helmet, and then you'll be good to go. Uh, the other main thing they'll check for is they will check for, I like to call it, junk in the trunk. And <laughs> it, it means literally what it says. They will pop your trunk and make sure there's no loose stuff in it. I don't know why somebody would want to have all that stuff in the back of their car when they're autocrossing. Um, well, typically, <laughs> like for me, when I go to an event, mm -hmm. because my dad drives the Corvette, and we have to drive the cars to an event, I'll end up with like the cooler, the air tank, the the uh, the air gauge, that kind of stuff. Spare tire. Well, I have a spare tire in the back of my car anyways, yeah. which stays in there. And actually... We'll kind of get into that, too, a little bit. But So, after you've teched and after you've registered and confirmed your registration, uh, the next thing you're going to want to do is you're going to want to walk the track. And this kind of goes back to finding where everything is. You want to find where your start is. You want to find where your finish is. And the most important... Well... I do. <laughs> the most <laughs> important thing when you're doing your course walk, and I encourage you to walk it more than once. I usually walk it at least twice. 
So the most, most important thing is take your time. You know, be thorough with your course walk. You're going to want to know, like, like as I'm walking, I'll sometimes dig my, you know, the, the, I'll stick my toes in the pavement to see how loose it is, for example. Now that'll change as the, the course of the event goes, because, you know, we'll lay down a little bit of rubber, etc., etc. But you still want to know how either bad or how good the pavement is when you start. Um, you're going to want to take note of any major bumps, uh, any major changes of the surface. So, like at Upper Valley Mall, for example, when we ran there. So, most of the parking lot was the original parking lot. Yes. But one of the corners, and they always liked to put a nice big, uh, usually a 90 degree or, you know, a, a, a sweeper there. We call it the corner of death because it's the only square of new pavement. So it was a big patch uh -uh. of just new pavement in that parking lot. Wow. And new pavement, believe it or not, is slicker than shit. Yeah. <laughs> it is slick as hell. <laughs> so the fact that, you know, you had that, you know, you, you're, you're bombing into it, into that corner, you know, whichever direction you might be going, and you have that new stretch of pavement, well, now you have to think, okay, what's the car going to do when it transitions to that and when it comes off that? You know, both sides of that transition. Um. Typically, most courses that I've seen will have some sort of slalom in them. So, when you're looking at when you're looking uh, at a slalom, there's two different types of slaloms. There's optional slaloms and, well, not optional slaloms. Basically, the difference is an optional slalom. You can go either to the left or the right of the first cone, and then you take it in sequence. Right. Well, a non-optional slalom, you'll have a pointer cone, so a cone, a cone that is laying down on either side of the cone, and whatever side the, the, the pointer cone is pointing towards when it's laying down, that's why they call them pointer cones, is the side of the, the, the cone that's standing up, well, that's the side you have to go around, so it forces you... To a particular uh, rhythm, which is both good and bad, depending on the track. Miata guys can usually go either way. Corvette guys, eh, not so much. It just depends. Depends on the car. But that's going to then change, not necessarily how you steer through the slalom. It's going to change how you set up for what comes next. And that's kind of the other thing. So when you're walking the track, you want to look for, so you have like the pointer slalom cone. Well, then you want to look at the last slalom cone. Then you want to look at, look through your next corner. Basically, you want to look as far ahead as you can. And bear in mind that when you're walking the track, it's going to look completely different when you're in the car. <laughs> for obvious reasons. So that's just kind of the kind of the the deal there. Do you guys have any anything you want to add or any questions so far? Yeah. When they set up the cones, do they set them up for the specific vehicle and do they move them if the car is smaller or wider or no. longer? No. So they will set up the track. So this is what they so this is day before the event, right? So day before each event is when they do course setup. What they do is the people that come and set up the track can run it in a mm -hmm. car they're not competing in. So, for example, say my dad and I were doing a car swap, which we sometimes do. I'll sometimes drive the vet. He'll sometimes drive my car. It just depends. Um... So, if we were to go to course setup, which I still think we should start doing, but I digress, um, I could drive my car, right, and he could drive his, 
but you can't drive the car you're competing in. So I couldn't drive his. He couldn't drive mine. If we weren't doing a car swap, he could run my car and I could run his car. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do that, and this is where it came up a couple – it actually came up the last event I did last year. There was a particular transition at Kill Care where we went from the infield onto the banking and actually onto the banking to do a slalom, and the slalom is there to slow you down. That's fine and dandy. What we all were having a problem with was the actual positioning – of the slalom because when you're coming out of when you were coming out of the the corner before the slalom you were looking straight up at wall and for new people not necessarily experienced people right but for new people especially on an optional slalom that can get dicey because you're basically trying to flat foot it into that slalom before you have to just mash on the brakes and slow down Right. So that was something we had brought up, and they they ran it a couple times, and they decided, no, that's not safe. We need to change. I think they changed the spacing on that specifically was what they had changed. Oh, that's good to know. To kind of prevent – but they do that for for safety reasons. So – but the course design itself, uh, it can be designed by just about anybody. And if I'm honest – I think people start designing courses so they can get a leg up themselves. Just yeah. saying. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it just depends on it depends on who's designing the course, right? So, like, uh, MVSCC has a lot of, of the local uh, Miata guys. So a lot of the local Miata guys and a lot of guys that drive small cars will be the ones designing those courses. Which that in and of itself is fine, right? But when you have a car like a Corvette, like a C5 that has the turning radius of a boat, um, when it's encountered in slow speed kind of cornering situations, um, that then kind of leads to, you know, okay, I have to take this differently because, you know, this, this, uh, this sweeper, for example, is not only a decreasing radius, but a decreasing width. They've done that before, too, where the entrance is wider than the exit. Yeah. And it is progressively sharper as it as you move through the turn. So that's, you know, that's uh, some intricacies of, you know, autocross courses. And the cool thing about autocross courses is typically, now granted, Kill Care, you're, you're locked into typically one or two different layouts, right? You can only do so much with a circle track and an infield. But... Typically, you the, the track does change every time, which is also nice. That's why you walk it every time. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely want to see what you're up against. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I usually will walk it at least twice, at least twice. Uh, and if I'm running any kind of telemetry, then what I do is I walk it for me twice, and then I'll walk it again. To set my start point, any split points I want, and my finish point. So I'll walk it a total of three times to figure it out. And if I can't figure it out in those three times, then typically we have a bigger problem. Yeah, I pretty much do the same thing. Just want to walk it just to kind of see what I'm up against. Like, okay, so I'm going this way, get this amount of speed, and then I got to slow down. Right break or downshift and, and then and that's and that's all things you think about when you're doing your course walk oh yeah really nice really nice thing about autocross too is all the local clubs um have kind of taken uh the same approach that the scca does which mm-hmm. is if you're a novice or if you're mm, running the novice class sorry I had a yawn there <laughs> or you're running the novice class, you have to do a mandatory – it's called a novice walk. So what they do is they get everybody together with a either a safety steward or a – I can't remember what it's called, but it's like the novice coordinator, something like that. I can't remember what the official uh, name is called. 
uh, or just an experienced, you know, a guy that's been doing it for a while. Yeah. And they'll walk them through the track. And then on that course walk, that's when you ask, you know, whatever questions you might have. Um, and, and even guys like me and Dad, we typically also do the novice walk because we want to hear, you know, we want to hear the mind of whoever's giving the novice walk, what they might do. Exactly. Especially, especially if they're driving uh, the same type of car you are. Yes. Which is also nice. So then right after the novice walk, right, is the driver's meeting. So they'll get everybody together. And th this is the problem they had with COVID, right? So the, the, the driver's meeting is everybody standing in a group. Well, what did everybody not like uh, when the COVID started hitting? Wearing the masks. Well, not Where? that. But I, I was referring to what the government didn't like, which was big groups. Oh, yeah, large groups of people. Uh-huh. So the SCCA came up with, and it's really good national guidelines, actually. Um, but they came up with guidelines, which is basically wear a mask, uh, social distance. Um, that's about it. Wash your hands. Yep, wash your hands, have hand sanitizer, you know, no more shared water, etc., etc., etc. Kind of stuff like that, just yeah. to kind of cut down on spread. Because a lot of the SCCA-specific membership, a lot of those guys are in the, you know, the age groups that are more prone to getting COVID than, say, us. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, we're, we're talking about the driver's meeting. So you've got a safety briefing. Um, how to carry fire extinguishers, how to use fire extinguishers, uh, how to use the red flag at your station, and we'll get into that when, when we talk about working, which I know isn't on here, but um, and they, they do bring up the code rules. So typically, this kind of is uh, number two on your question list there, AJ. So the question is, are there judges pointing you based on your runs? Yes. Um, so whenever you hit a cone, uh, it is a typically it depends on the club can be different. But for SCCA, it is a two second penalty, which means they add two seconds onto your time. So say for example, say for example, you get a we'll just throw a time out there a forty five. Point five seven eight plus two or plus one. We'll go with a plus one. So that forty five isn't actually a forty five. It's actually a forty seven point five seven eight. Ah. So you add seconds based on however many cones you hit. You hit uh, ten cones uh, at two points. It's tw uh, twenty seconds, AJ. Correct. Gotcha. Yep, yep. It's proportionate to how many cones you hit. If you hit 10 cones, there's probably some issue, and you'll probably either A, get a talking to, B, somebody will offer to ride with you, or any combination of the previous two. Gotcha. Good to know. So, and as a novice, you know, we're always like, you know, take your time. If, you, if you're slow, don't worry about it, you know. And, and, and you know, we, we stress, and we do this on purpose, but we stress that if you need help, you, you don't be afraid to go up to somebody and ask. You typically don't want to go balls to the wall right off the rip. You basically Correct. just want to so, kind of take your time, get to know the course, and there you go. So what That's I why you do, do the walks. Correct. And actually what I do, too, is say the first run, so me personally, I'll give it about 80%. I'll shut the traction control off and give it about 80% of, of my 100. You're good. I got you. Um, then the second run, or even maybe the third, you know, you get progressively up and up and up on it as you go throughout the day. So, you know, if you have six runs, maybe take one or two. Learn how the track is going to feel, and then, you know, send it for your time. That's typically how I do it. And typically within the first two runs, I'll have a, at that point, a time goal um, that uh, I will, 
you know, try and hit. So, like, I'll get my first or second time, and I'll say, okay, I want to get in the blank. So, and now that I bring that up, so I will typically set three goals for an event when I, you know, when I get in the zone and I drive. Uh, and two of them are the same every time, which is be smooth and look as far ahead as I can. I have a big problem with that. I've always had a problem with that. I'm still getting better at it. So that's that's kind of that. But they'll talk about the run work order too during the driver's meeting. So part of the SCCA and really any local autocross event is that you run half the day and then the other day you work. So you either work waivers, which is you stop everybody that you know, tries to come into the event venue and you make sure they have a waiver and a wristband. That's kind of a boring job. Um, There's timing and scoring. So you're in the timing and scoring trailer and you're, you're timing and scoring the run group. So you're, so when, you know, corner workers call out, you know, say uh, 195 STH plus one, that's what you're actually putting into the computer system and that's going into the time. So you're doing that. And then the other big one, so there's two more. There's running grid, which is pretty fun. Uh, and then there's uh, cone shagging, or, you know, you know, running out in front of cars and behind cars and running out on track and actually resetting the cones because, you know, they all got to be in their proper place. So do you guys have any questions or anything to add about the driver's meeting? Yeah, we pretty much covered it. Julian, what do you think? You've done this sort of thing before, so it's kind of all uh, new no, to me. No, actually, I am. Uh, I haven't had the chance uh, with the baby and everything uh, to get in. The, I haven't had the time to get in the auto. Uh, Xing this uh, last few years. I know a lot about it, uh, but and I know a lot of people that run it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a buddy, uh, Jason Jensen. He goes uh, down Trader's World almost yep. uh, every event. Yep. Yeah, I'm very familiar with his that son. Do uh, I know his? Uh, uh, I know uh, Southwest Camaro Club. They uh, uh, do all uh, get a uh, get together down there almost all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. But. Uh... I just like autocross because for me, like, I don't have to prep my car to go to a track day. I can literally just take my car off the street and put some sticky tires on it and go ham, which is nice. (laughs) So now we get to everybody's favorite part, driving. Always good. Driving, because, you know, that's what everybody goes for. Yep. So you've sat through the driver's meeting. You've done your course walks, you've registered, you're, you're, you did your tech inspection, so now it all comes down to the driving part. So, like I said before, you want to drive your drive, you know, maybe have uh, somebody in the car with you, maybe helping you call the course. I know I do that for Dad quite often. Um, so this kind of gets us into some of the, the, the interesting... In-car gizmos, uh, you know, tools that, that help you. So there's tools that help you and tools that, in my opinion anyways, are excessive and don't help you. And I've had experiences with both. So I, <laughs> so I a while ago, started videotaping my runs. I have a GoPro, and I just mounted it to the car with a suction cup. And, you know, started taping the runs. Because I thought, you know what? I'll I'll do post-run analysis. And, and see where maybe I can cut more time. Well, I haven't done that very much recently. <laughs> because for me, when I go to autocross, uh, unless it's like a national event anymore, I go for seat time. So I go to learn what my car is going to do, say, you know... Uh, in this kind of corner or in this kind of corner because for me, when I'm out, for example, leading the Dragon Slayer, uh, leading the loop, um, 
you know, we, I, I want to know exactly what my car is going to do given a certain situation, right? So off camber, decreasing radius, uh, that kind of stuff. That all applies to real life driving. It, it teaches car control, which is really nice. Um, and you kind of know the limits, the limits of your tires, the limits of your suspension and all that without having to hurt yourself or without having the risk of hurting yourself, which is always good. Um, but the national level events, oh, I have my, my Osmo Action, which replaced my GoPro, uh, out and recording. Because uh, that's where the big competition is. The the Optima events that I do, that kind of stuff. That's where all that stiff competition is. Right right there. Um, so this is, this is the time where you focus. You don't... I still talk to people. Uh, but when I get in the car and shut the TC off, it's all, it's all me. And while I'm sitting there... While I'm sitting there in line waiting for my run... I'll, I'll try and go through my head. Okay, so we've got, you know, tight left, tight right. Are you yawning again? Uh, yes, I'm yawning. <laughs> so I, I woke up really early this morning, and I did not take the nap that I was going to take. So I am slightly struggling through this. <laughs> but we're making do. We're making yeah, do. Yeah, we are. Oh uh, man, that's what I was waiting to do. And then you guys got a hold of me. It was like, you want to be on the show this week? Uh, I said, be on the show or take this nap. <laughs> <laughs> be on the show, of course. Yeah, of course. But so I'll play the course through my head. This is also why it's important to do your course walk because then you know, okay, I've got a tight left, tight right into the slalom, into the, the, the decreasing radius, you know. And I'll try and play that through as far as I can in my head, you know, before I got to go. And there are, and there used to not be, but there are an increasingly shocking amount of apps and tools out there. There's a couple big ones. Um, Solo Storm, the Race Box is a new one. Um that will use GPS and your accelerometers, and it'll give you the uh, the line that you took, where you can improve, that kind of stuff. But it'll also give you, you know, it'll give you those G-force readouts, and some of them will connect into the OBD2 and give you the, the RPM readouts and all that really cool stuff. That's what SoloStorm does. And That's it, pretty nice. It, it is very nice. And they, you know, they range in price from Solo Storm. I think is on the lower end of the spectrum, um, to you know, V boxes are uh, like three thousand dollar systems. Those are more track oriented as opposed to autocross oriented, and they're way overkill for an autocross. Don't get me wrong. But those systems are really, really nice. For the average autocrosser, way overkill. For somebody yeah. that maybe is a you know a national champion looking for another national championship, you know if you're if you're that kind of driver, you're looking for every tenth you can find, yeah, every hundredth you can find. I'm sure the competitiveness really comes into play when once you get you know better and better at doing the autocrossing and. It does, and that's that's part of the bug, right? That's yes. part of why we do it, um, yep. because the, even, the even, adrenaline bug. Yes, and you know I can say all I want. Oh, I, I I do it for fun. I do it for seat time. But you better believe when I know that somebody's driving a similar car to me and they have a faster time than I do, you're gonna wanna bet your sweet little bottom that I wanna beat them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now. Uh... I don't know if you'd do it. I know I know when I finally go, and this mm-hmm. is going in line with what you were talking about walking the track, mm-hmm. uh, I would actually record my walk. So you can? First person. So you can? It's a good um, idea. I typically don't do that because the, like I said, the track changes every time depending on the club. There's um, Akron Sports Car Club will go to a couple different venues. One of which, Dragway 42, they use the same track every time they go there. 
Um, but most every other autocross track changes. But it's nice for, say, for example, it's a two-day event, like the Optima events are. So you can go home, watch either your run or your course walk or both, and then go back the next day and see, okay, I need to break deeper here, get on the gas earlier here, etc., etc., which is really nice. I mean, uh, recording your walk uh, uh, can really go for any uh, uh, any track day, uh, oh, even if they can. I agree. Uh, that's just a lot more information for you to uh, read uh, while you're waiting, uh, right. because I know what's uh, sometimes it could be a half hour longer mm-hmm. uh, wait. Yep, yep. And, and you know, in this sport, in autocross, you know people don't really tell you but in this sport information is power right oh yeah correct and it's like that almost in every sport right but this sport more than others because the more information you have the more you can then decide okay this is the line i need to take to get my quickest time um and and something else that's kind of important too is you know, and, and we all encourage this. So I'm a little less now because of COVID, but that's going to go away here pretty soon, hopefully. Um, yes. You know, and it's something I encourage regardless. You know, ride with somebody. Don't be afraid to walk up to that person and and ask them if you can go for a ride. Here's a perfect example. Uh, the last Optima event that I did, the one in Cincy last year, uh, Danny Pop had... He was borrowing uh, a buddy's C8. And I'm like, you know what? I wonder if he'll give me a ride in that car. (laughs) And and I've met Danny a handful of times, right? Because he races at Cincy, and I've only raced at Cincy a handful of times. But he's well-known in the area. He's well-known in the He's well known in the area. He's well-known in the vet community, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. And I just walked up to him and I said, hey, Danny, can I go for a ride? And he's like, yeah, sure, hop in. And let me tell you, the C8, even in even in base form, man, can that thing get down. That, that thing can go. And it can go. And it can go. <laughs> oh, yeah, the new C8. Yes. Uh, I haven't had the pleasure to uh, ride in the uh, new one yet, but I, I bet that a uh, new weight distribution uh, with the mid-engine Corvette, I bet it's real nice. It's it's something. It's, it's something. Um, I actually have the video on my MacBook, and my MacBook I will have on the rally, so I'll let you guys see it uh, awesome. when we when we do the show on the on the Dragon Slayer. But it's it's something else. It I poke really fun cool. at that car to be honest, but yeah. It reminds it's, me of a Ferrari. You know, it kind of is. It kind of is a poor man's Ferrari when you think just about the look, it. Just the look of it. I mean, it looks yep. like a La Ferrari. It does. I mean, when you really go uh, start going into the mid-engine cars and everything like that, if you look at almost all of the supercars out there, from the C8 to Ferraris to, they all kind of got that kind of look anyway. Yeah. Uh, feedback off. I mean, so oh it's kind of hard uh, to change something up. So I, even though they say the it looks like a Ferrari, I mean, it has a little bit of similarity to it. I mean, I don't really see that much. I, I can notice them right off the bat. I ain't going to ever get them confused. Mike, feedback on. Mike yeah, on. Well, I it's think a little, it's a little bit different. <laughs> it is a little bit different, and I think, I honestly think that's the look that kind of Chevy was going for when they made that car. Yeah. But you know, while you're while you're asking people for rides, you know, socialize, get to know people. You know, the, you're only gonna get so far as what your network is, right? And that's that's anywhere in the car scene, anywhere in the car community, as I always say. So. The more people you know and the more people you talk to, the more info you have, therefore the more power you have. The more you know. Right. And so the other half of the day, so you've done your driving 
or maybe you worked for maybe you worked first that happens too and typically guys like me and dad we love to work first and we love to see the 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 high horsepower big you know cars with big wangs and and all them we love to see them go around the track first because it goes back to knowledge is power when you look at other guys you know taking the track and taking the lines they're taking you're like oh okay that makes sense maybe mm-hmm. maybe you had maybe you were maybe in the course walk you were confused um maybe you had like there's a a uh, chicago box followed by a peterson box and Trust me when I say this. The first time I saw this, uh, a Chicago box into a Peterson box, I was like, "Huh? How does that work?" <laughs> then I, then I, conveniently, I worked. Oh, well, uh, could you uh, describe uh, some of those turns uh, for like me and AJ that isn't sure. uh, familiar with those types of turns? Sure. So, so a Chicago box is a, it's essentially a three-sided wall of cones, and in the on the fourth side, you have an entry and an exit, uh, and these can be any any sort of you know different width. Uh, typically, the the exit is a little slimmer than the entry, uh, and you have to okay. navigate around, kind of like a pivot. You have to pivot around the usually it's two cones. It's one after the one right next. There's two right next to each other in that on that fourth side, that open side. And you have to get as close to those two cones as you can without hitting the cones on the outside of the wall. So without hitting your entry cone or your exit cone. Mm-hmm. And without taking out the middle cones. And on a Chicago box, yeah, that's usually murder city for cones. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, yeah, that's usually murder city. And then a Peterson box is kind of the same thing. The cones are just laid out a little different. So you can come out. It's a Peterson box, I think, and I could be wrong because I haven't seen very many Peterson boxes lately. Um, but it's <laughs> it's, it's kind of like like a diamond <laughs> box with. Uh, typically, there's a pointer cone saying you gotta go. It's kind of like a mini slalom, I think. Could be wrong. But I've seen those are also Murder City. As far as cones go. Now, is there a, a site or somewhere you can go to uh, to maybe check out some layout so you're familiar with what you might come at? So you, uh, can, when, actually, you uh, can actually get on YouTube, and there's guys that will put their uh, runs up on YouTube. And there's only so many, you know, different sequences, per se, that you can come up with. Right. So if you Google, okay. say, if you Google uh, Traders World Autocross or Cincy SCCA Autocross, you'll find. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of those. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. There, there's plenty of guys that will post their their run layout, their runs. And some of the guys like uh, I know Tom Mills does this. I know uh, there's a couple other guys that have this. They'll have in the in the one in one of their corners, they'll have their GPS track of their um, of their run, and it'll just it'll just be a squiggly line. But you can see, typically, so so uh, an autocross in a parking lot, for example, will have a kind of like a back and forth flow, kind of like a piece of wood, uh, or it'll have a, a vertical back and forth kind of like a piece of wood but in a different orientation um and that's typically what you'll find at most autocrosses uh, if they're big open spaces because it's got to start and end in kind of the same spot because you have to get back to paddock but but yeah so there's different um you know there's different ways that you can see what different features that's what we call them there's different just, ways you can see that. I just shared one on the Cruising Around Dayton admin group, so that'll give you an idea, Julian. And that's knowledgeable for me as well, too, since uh, I want to be a future autocrosser. That actually is one of the uh, – that's one of the Cincy maps. 
Yeah, that's the one I was searching for. I was trying to search for the Traders World one, but this that is one, Traders oh, yeah, World. Yeah, actually, that is. Oh, that is right. that is Traders World from twenty eighteen. The yep, there it is. Yep, Traders World. I just didn't zoom in on it. I was like, wait a minute, that does say Traders World. So, so you <laughs> know, they've used. They've actually. I've seen that layout before. I've seen that one. It's been a while, but mm-hmm. I've I have seen that one before. Yeah. Um, pretty cutting. Looks pretty cut and dry. So it is. Uh, but if you're if you're new, part of the thing is, um, not war is kind of special, and and MVSCC is kind of special in the fact that they will use like baseball chalk to kind of give the course an outline. Yeah. Since he doesn't do that. Ah. Yeah. Since he won't do that, so you have to rely on reading the cones. So as as novices. You know, kind of looping back to the the novice thing, right? Mm-hmm. As a novice, that can be kind of intimidating. Oh yeah, I think when I've watched them online uh, and watched the videos of like Jason Jensen, mm-hmm. uh, Son, even uh, doing their runs, and I've just uh, looked at their runs down there, and I'm like, man, following those cones. Uh, uh, that might be the my first run. That might be the uh, issue, making sure I'm following the cones correctly. Right, and, uh, and as a as a new driver, right, you you know you're you're looking at this essentially a wall of orange cones, and you're like. And pardon the French, but you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like seriously, you're like, what the hell? What what do first... all of what do all of these mean? And that and that kind of goes back to you know the course walk and the novice walk. The the novice walk will show you what those cones mean. That's why it's required. The thing that I don't like about some certain venues, mainly Killcare, is that and this will con- this has even confused me a time or two. That track, because it's an oval track and the infield, will always cross over itself. Somewhere. Somewhere in the track, it will always cross over itself. Uh, Usually it's right in the middle of the infield. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they put it kind of towards one of the sides where it'll cross like a straight or whatever. And it'll use one of those cones. That doesn't happen very often because typically they want to get two or three cars on track at a time, typically two. But so typically they'll put the the where it crosses over itself uh, right in the middle of the of the uh, the figure eight. They'll say, okay, time number one you go this way, time number two you go this way. And, and I don't typically like those. Be I don't like those very much because it's hard to follow. And if you're not on your game. You will make a wrong turn, and you'll be like, oh, whoops. There's a cone. <laughs> well, not only there's a cone, but darn, I turned the wrong way for the wrong feature. Oops. Yeah, or you go off the track. <laughs> yeah, and you if you do that kind of stuff, you can get a DNF, and you can yeah. your run then is invalid. Oh, yeah. You know, that kind of stuff does happen. That's happened to my dad. That's happened to me. Yeah. Him and I have made the same mistake. <laughs> so the key word, take your time. Correct. Take your time. Be thorough with it. Yep. Be and that's, very thorough. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really all you can do, you know? Be mm-hmm. thorough. And then, you know, to to wrap all this up, you know, when you're doing your post-event analysis, as I like to call it, your, you know, what can I do better um, for, your, for your next one, for example? Um, you can say, okay, well, maybe I didn't, break hard enough or break late enough going into this corner. Maybe I uh, let off the gas and just coasted too much. Um, you know, maybe I can tweak my setup a little bit depending on what class you're in, that kind of stuff. And all of that stuff then goes into, it. you know, you take all of that into account into your next event. So what I like to do, and I haven't done this yet, but I have the setup to do it. What I like to do is I'll start – I, I have a notebook. Uh, it's a, Actually, it's a Google Sheet because I can do it right on my phone. I get weather conditions, kind of a brief, brief overview of what the course is like, and I'll record my tire pressures that I start with when I'm cold, and then I'll take them again when they're hot. 
after after a day of, of running. Typically, I only do the cold one, not the hot one, because the hot one can fluctuate depending on, you know, weather temps and that kind of stuff. Um, but I'll, I'll say, okay, I started with this tire pressure, and over the course of the day, I drained, you know, X because, or I added X due to lack of maybe turn-in or lack of rotation, which is turn-in. Um, you know, maybe through the center of the corner, it didn't want to rotate enough. So I added a click of suspension in one side, you know, that kind of stuff. And well, uh, I also know, uh, I don't, I'm not sure about you. I know like when we uh, do our cruises and stuff, uh, I always recommend, uh, going with a higher pressure, tire pressure first. Yes. And then, uh, dropping it down. Uh, if you, uh, depending on where, uh, you may feel the looseness by gripping right to the road. So what I do for autocross is I will start it at a pressure. So I like um, – and this is kind of giving away my secrets, but I'll start <laughs> usually my fronts at 32 or 33, and I'll start the backs at about 36. So I'll, I'll I'll start the back at what the door says to start at, and I'll run a lower pressure in the front because you need that, especially in a front wheel drive car, right? You oh yeah, need, yeah. You need all of that that side bite and that uh, contact patch so that you can get the car to, around to rotate. Because I like a rotating car because I I actually did used to drive the Corvette before I drove my Focus. So I love a car that can get tail happy on me. Um, but I'll run a, a higher pressure in the rear and a lower pressure in the front to do that. Oh, that's and, the same with me, too. I run normally, uh, like I said, if I'm going to start it, I start mine off actually at a higher pressure. Right. I normally start them off about 40 mm -hmm. uh, in mine. And then uh, I'm probably about 30, 37, 38 uh, in the back. Uh that's where, where I start mine off normally. Yep. And, and then I'll just start, uh, well, after the track, after you start getting heating up your tires, you start seeing if you need to decrease. I always say about one to two pounds of pressure, either up or down. So what I do is I will chalk my tires. So I will basically take a chunk of chalk and mark three spots on each tire where it will stuff. tell me how far the tire is rolling over. And it's then, a good tip. Yeah, it is. And then based on how far that tire is either rolling over or not rolling over to where I want it to, I will – and this is – I typically let out air. I don't typically add air. I typically bleed it off. I always start higher than I normally need to for that reason. And I'll drain – I won't do one to two pounds at a time, Julian. I actually do about a half pound at a time. Because it's a it's a finer adjustment. Because you can always put air back in if you have an air tank. Well, that's the same thing. That's why I always start uh, like with mine. Uh, I always start at forties. Right. Forties in the front. Uh, Thirty-eight uh, in the in the back. And then if I just depend on how, like you said, how the track's feeling, everything like that. Yep. How the yep. weather is. Uh, and I go from there and adjust them. If I need to uh, decrease it, or uh, or nine times out of ten, I don't have to decrease increase it, like you said. Yeah, typically I'm draining stuff out. I'm not putting stuff in. Oh yeah, forty almost, uh, uh, pretty much forty. I found that at least for my Camaro, mm -hmm. uh, that's been a pretty good number to be at. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's another thing too. You know, you got to find what makes your car happy. Because every car and tire setup is going to be different, whether it's the same tire your competitor is running, which typically in autocross, yeah, you're running what everybody else is running. But, you know, depending on what tire you're running versus what everybody else is running, it could be different. So it just depends on what your car likes versus what it doesn't. Grip is very important. Yes, it is. Gotta have yes, all that it grip. is. So, guys, that's kind of all I had. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to add or talk about or, you know, anything like that before we sign off? 
yeah, I just wanted to add, uh, give an update to everyone about my car. It is going under the knife this week, so lots of goodies will be happening. So we'll be ready for uh, the meet coming up in March for the uh, for the opener. So I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think I will be at the season opener because that is not only the weekend after I get back from Sebring, but that is also mm-hmm. the lady's birthday. So, Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll be at that one, unfortunately. <laughs> I might try and get her out, but I don't know if she'll let me do that. Well, that's what you just got to uh, do is try to come out. I mean, uh, we even have some members that just come up and show up for even a half hour. They don't even come on the yeah. Yeah, and that's my that might be what I do too. I I just I gotta figure it out because I gotta work it. Yeah, because like I said, that'll be the weekend after I get back from Sebring and that kind of stuff. So I just I yeah. just gotta see what's going on. But I should be able to be there. Yeah, we got folks that like show up and then it's kind of like a car show and they just kind of walk around and it's like, well, well, I can't. I'm not gonna be cruising with you guys, but uh, it was nice meeting you. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and then sure. like we'll be, we'll be back for the next one and then. Yep. For sure. And they usually they usually come back and uh, cruise with us. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. The more so, the merrier. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, well, that was a good show this week, guys. I definitely yep, I had fun making it. I want to thank for having me. Oh, no problem, Julian. And don't yeah, be afraid having to you on stop the show, by Julian. again. Good, good having you, dude. Yep, yep. And uh, that was Julian Stapleton of Cruising Around Dayton. And for AJ Morrow, this is Nick Burnow and... We'll see you guys next week.